Hello and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week is Just Dave. Bloop! Hello, Internet. Nope, Just, just it Dave. Was, it wasn't... I, I tricked you. You thought it was Tori, but it's Dave. Uh, so we start every week with Good Thing. And Dave, what's your good thing this week? My good thing this week is... So, I had to do... A lot of reading in one sitting this week, so I wanted to put on some nice, relaxing music, and I was in the mood for jazz, and I had went through a couple of different playlists and played a few songs, but then Take 5 by Dave Brubeck came on, and I said, yes, I just want to listen to Dave Brubeck. So my good thing this week is Dave Brubeck. Obviously, Take 5 is his most uh, well-known composition. Also, Blue Rondo a la Turk is really good. And he just there's a, he has actually a a pretty wide range of slower stuff and then more like the kind of jazzy dissonant solo stuff too. But uh, yeah, a lot of different a lot of different styles of jazz within the work of Dave Brubeck. But it was all really nice to listen to while I was reading last night. My only contribution to this is that I have heard Take Five by Dave Brubeck and I enjoy it. <laughs> If you've heard, a lot of his songs actually take from the Take 5 motif, and he kind of sneaks them in there during his improvisation, too. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anything else by him, though. Uh, so my good thing this week is my new favorite Twitter account, uh, which is Wiki Titles Singable to TMNT Theme Song. Uh, you can find it at <laughs> wiki underscore it. TMNT. Uh, so such examples as... Loma Portal San Diego. And let me pull up their full thing. Uh, let's get some stuff I can actually pronounce. Uh, list of portal codes in Sweden. I remember Charlie Parker. Etc. It's literally just wiki titles that have the correct number of syllables to be sung to the TMNT theme song. Well, and the correct meter. Sort of, uh, they they take some, they take some uh, leaps. Uh, also, with the number of syllables, like our <laughs> uh, in one of these is a two syllable word, and maybe I guess. So so yeah, but it it is very fun. Um, with with each thing they post, they have a uh, like they have the text in a picture in the TMNT like logo. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was in high school I had to write a sonnet which it's it's in iambic pentameter so every every line has to be 10 syllables and in one line hour was one syllable and in another line in the same poem hour was two syllables or did I say two already it was a different I made it two and one and one and another <laughs> in the same in the same sonnet my teacher was like, no, it's a one-syllable word. Sorry, kiddo. Yeah, that is that is poor poetry. Poor poetry. Anywho. Uh, so you read a lot of pages really fast in one sitting, which is yeah. very different from your normal thing with this podcast. <laughs> uh, so you want to you wanna tell us about those? Yeah, sure. So this week, 
We are going to discuss chapters 30 through 33 of The Hero of Ages by Brandon Sanderson. And this will take us to the end of part two. Let's get started. Chapter 30. One week later. What's the difference between a longboat and a narrowboat? Ham and Set allowed Valellan to go to the ball. Elland has a fetish for a French maid outfit. I wonder if there really even is a ball. Spoiler alert, there is. Everything is a logic puzzle to Ham. Ham is the best. Vin is Mouse Girl. How can she be both Cat Girl and Mouse Girl? Vin is 21. Ham corner set. Ball time. Vin versus Patrizan. Vin accidentally makes a table full of friends. So chapter 30 takes place one week after the infiltration of Fadric City. And the word narrowboat didn't come up in this chapter, but it, it had been used in previous chapters. So I was thinking about it and I've heard of a longboat, but these guys have what's described as a narrowboat. And I'm wondering what's the difference? Maybe it isn't long, but it is narrow. So it's a raft <laughs> or a gondola. A gondola? I don't think that the Emperor of Skadriel is riding a gondola along the canal route. Why not? They're very romantic. Because, you know, he's got more than one person on there with him. But Maybe they're very they romantic. <laughs> they're very romantic. No, that was a stretch. That was That was a stretch too far. Yeah, that was a little too long. And narrow. So, I don't know. I just wrote that down. Cause I, I, mean, I was thinking about that before. What's a narrow boat? And spell check allows long boat, but not narrow boat. So, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just a different word for the same kind of boat. Why don't we call this under the same category as what's a half beard? <laughs> a half beard is a five o'clock shadow, though. It's I've heard I've heard people use the term in two different circumstances outside of Sanderson refer to a five o'clock shadow as a half beard. One of them actually was in the office where where Ryan Howard shows up with a five o'clock shadow and Michael Scott's like, What's with the half beard? That might have been what Brandon was going for. I honestly don't know. Google image search gives us men with literally half their face shaved, like like on a vertical axis, like left half shaved, left half beard, or right half beard. Wow. What if well if you had a half half beard, you could have like a two and a half clock shadow. Or a two thirty shadow, I guess it would be called. But then it would be time to go to the dentist. A one quarter ten soon shadow. <laughs> half past nine. <laughs> oh boy. All right, so Ham and Set are, you know, seeing off Elland and Vin, or collectively they're known as Valelland, of course, to go to this ball. And Elland's thinking that Ham and Set are going to try to talk him out of it or object in some way. And like, no, whatever. It's not the craziest thing you've ever done. And you're a Mistborn now, so it's less crazy than the crazier things you've done. And I was, you know, at this point, I was thinking, is there even really going to be a ball? Because I, I suspect Smokestack 
or the heck's his name? Slow Short Swift. Round. Slow Swift. <laughs> uh, yeah, Slow Swift. You know, I, I suspect that he's not the informant that Vin thinks he is. Although, at this point, if Vin has gone back and caught up with Set, then Set would confirm probably that Slow Swift was the guy. But was that really Slow Swift? And the other thing is, maybe they weren't dumb enough to write all the information down on paper because they do have these little foil sheets that they can etch notes on that they've talked about. So maybe it doesn't specific, you know, maybe they didn't actually write this info on paper. So maybe I freaked out for nothing, but we'll see. Any comment for that? No, you're good. Keep going. (laughs) All right. So anyway, it turns out there is a ball. So now we have this. Everything is a logic puzzle to Ham. Ham is the best. He's getting back to his old self being more optimistic and Ellen thinks maybe it's because he he didn't have anyone to annoy since uh since Master Clayton hasn't been with him. Breeze was is off in Urto with Sezed and you know, Ham just didn't have anybody to bug until Set came along and now Set is the new guy that Ham gets to bug with logic puzzles. And, and it's things extra like that. good for Ham because Set can't run away. Yeah, which which is what the first part of this chapter kind of leaves on. Thus, ham corner set. All right, so Vin is a mouse girl. (laughs) Basically, she shows up. Dang it, I said it again. Put it on the counter. Thank you, Brian David Gilbert. Gilmore. Gilbert. Uh, BDG. BDG. Everything's a logic puzzle. Ham is the best. So Vin shows up and she's wearing her new dress, which supposedly they had repurposed one of the serving girls or one of the cook's dresses. So basically it's a French maid outfit because they're on planet France and it was a maid slash cook that, that had a dress that they repurposed. And so there you have it. Get your uh, get your fan art in, guys, um, <laughs> and gals. I don't want to be exclusive. So Vin shows up, and Ham's like, "What happened to the little mouse girl that we first brought on the, to the crew?" And I thought it was a squib. And Vin says, "That was five years ago. I'm 21 now." So just I wrote down a note. Vin's 21 now. Not really important, but just. You know, keeping in mind how much time has passed since the first book and how old these characters are, because that's usually a point of discussion at some point with us. So it's it's note. just is good info to to keep at the back of our heads. Yeah. So she is officially too old for Straff Venture now, basically. Well, Essentially, she would have been okay. Had he so not been, you know, bisected. Vin and Ellen go off to the bar. I mean, ball. <laughs> there might be a bar at the ball. There's probably uh, a bar at the ball. There's there's a bar at the ball. And there is a, you know, pointing out Vin's earring here. And I, I was kind of in a hurry last week and didn't get to go to my Vin's earring theory. So I'll leave it up to Mike if he thinks I should delve into that in this episode. We'll do all the chapters first, but I'll let you think about that. If I should delve into the Vin's earring theory, I think I'll talk about the earring theory in this episode once we do the chapter wrap-up. I can always reiterate it next week with everybody else before you guys go to Spoiler Town. So anyway, 
we come to the end of the narrowboat scene with Ham cornering Set. <laughs> so you can't go anywhere unless someone carries you off, right? Good. Let me uh, let me wax philosophical at you. And then we go to the ball, and we have a scene from Vin's perspective where she finds a lady who who is named Miss Patrizen, and Miss Patrizen is she is a socialite, female socialite leader at this ball, or at least in this conversation. And Vin just wants to stir things up. She wants to intimidate the nobility as a whole. And she accidentally wins people over and makes them want to follow her around. And she becomes the new social leader at the party. And everybody wants to introduce Vin to their nieces and nephews and everything. And that's the end of chapter 30. Is it in your top 30 favorite chapters of this book so far? Definitely. Um, Not counting the intro. So did you like the the different take that Vin sort of went with? Uh, with the, this lesser version of Chandelariel. Yeah, she totally schooled her. I love this whole scene, by the way. This whole setup of going back to the ball. I, I think this is great. I missed it as much as our characters did. And awesome to see. Which is maybe why Yeoman threw the ball. Because that's how people felt in general. The nobility, at least. They missed the good times. But yeah, this uh, this uh, mini Sean. Actually, I think she's actually she's a cousin to the Alario house as well. That is correct, but probably not a misborn. Yeah, and Vin is like, oh yeah, I killed your cousin. <laughs> All right, chapter thirty-one. Chapter thirty-one. Chapter thirty-one. What's with the blindfold? Seized suspects that Spook is a tin-eye. Seized cannot fault the citizens' views. Kelsier's one flaw, that he was a genocidal maniac. Spook and Seized survivor talk. Cuz Tindwell, Tindwell, Portfolio Jones. Alright, so chapter 31 takes place in the storage cache in Urto, we have Seized, Alrian, and Breeze, and Spook, mainly Seized and Spook in this chapter. And it's written from Seized's perspective. He's curious about Spook's blindfold, and he suspects it has something to do with Spook burning tin, but doesn't go any more into detail than that. There is a part where they go over to the underground lake and there are some torches and Spook takes off the blindfold and can barely see and he extinguishes one of the torches and uh, and is more comfortable in very dim lighting. But I don't know if Seizid actually knows about Alimantic Savants. I guess he doesn't. Otherwise, he would he would be smart enough to put the pieces together and know that Spook was one. Uh, my right, guess so, is that he does not. Yeah. That's my guess. And so basically, Budge. Essentially, Spook wants to. <laughs> Spook just wants to straight out kill the citizen. And Breeze is like, no, that'll, that won't work because he's, he's just a man and someone will take his place. When we killed the Lord Ruler, we were killing essentially God. And we, we sent out a message by killing that guy. If we kill the citizen, not only will someone just take his place, but we'll also be branded as murderers so you know 
straight up assassination isn't really the solution to this situation. And Book just wants to kill the citizen. And I think he wants to kill Quellian because he's into his sister. I, I really think that's the motivation behind his murderous intent. I mean, that's that's how my wife and I got together. You I, murdered I, Quellian? I, I murdered her brother, who was the leader of a city-state. Yeah. I mean, not just... I don't think he's trying to kill Quellian to impress his sister. Gosh, whose name I can't even remember. It's so unimportant right now. Beldry? Beldra. Beldra, yeah. B-E-L-D-R-E. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Beldra. And... First of all, he promised her that he would he would kill Quellian, so he's got to live up to his promise. And second of all, it's not to impress her, but I think in Spook's mind, Beldra is this sweet, innocent girl, and Quellian is corrupting her somehow. So he, Spook feels personally affronted because the woman he has a crush on, you know, is under this evil influence of, of her big brother, her literal and figurative big brother. So, yeah, I wonder if Beldra, Beldra might, you know, she was pretty coy when she had a conversation with Spook. Maybe she actually supports Quellian. All that really happened was Spook said, I'm going to kill your brother. And Beldra is like, well, you won't be the first to try and you probably won't be the last. And that, that was it. So, yeah. She might, she might turn out to be a, a, a quelliologist. All right, I gotta, and I now, gotta add that to the to the quotes. Quelliologist. Now I just have to figure out how to spell it. <laughs> Kelsier. Oh, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago when we were first introduced to Quellian, and you asked, "Is Quellian in the wrong here? Did he get Kelsier's message wrong?" And I did not ask that. I made the case that he is following Kelsier's message far, far better than the crew and Ellen and everyone else are. Right. So, Zayzad would agree with you. He doesn't want to come flat out and say, yeah, Kelsier did murder a bunch of dudes and Quellian's right. If Zayzad, in a Zayzad way, says, well, I cannot completely fault the citizen for his views because this is how Kelsier fired up the sky. This is what Kelsier was seen doing to the nobility back in Luthadel. And Zayzad is wise. I mean, Quellian is super duper wrong to do this, and Kelsier for the most part also was. But as as a continuation of Kelsier's legacy... Quellian is right on the money. Vin's getting yeah. it wrong. I think that I recall early on in Mistborn in this show saying, well, Kelsier is a homicidal maniac. <laughs> and now we're seeing the fruits of that. So it, it did not go unnoticed by our author. So kudos to that. Yeah, Kelsier had some issues. But he gave Spook the power of pewter. Or did he? And more importantly, he gave Spook the power of a cool nickname. Yeah, that's true. I mean, how many names has this kid had? Spook is his third name, I believe. Whatever his given name was as a child, I don't, I, we haven't learned. He names himself Lester Burns, 
when Clubs comes to rescue him. And then Kelsier gives him the name Spook. And now he wants a title from Ellen. So he's, he basically is after that fourth name. You know, that's the dream, is having four names. Yeah, like, uh, once you get four, you're only one away from Dumbledore. Albus, Percival, Brian, Wolfric, Dumbledore, to be specific. In oh. case you thought I was speaking of a different Dumbledore. Oh, I'm sorry, it's I'm Wolfric, not sure Brian. That's it's Wolfric Brian. It's Wolfric Brian. Albus, Percival, Wolfric, Brian, Dumbledore. Sorry, guys. You know, it would be great playing a game of Mastermind, but instead of using numbers, you use names. So I got five right, three in the correct position. That would be fun. Mm. Or maybe it would have to make a complete sentence. So you could actually have more than 10 unique digits because, it, you know, it would have to be grammatically correct and be coherent. So, oh, man, that sounds fun. Wouldn't that crank up the complexity beyond a point where it's playable, though? No, maybe, no. Because you have to use your linguistic skills in tandem with your logic skills. And that would make it playable, I think. Well, then it would have to be from, like, a pre-selected list. Yeah, you couldn't... You probably couldn't randomize them unless you just had... Nah, I mean, you could have grammar involved. I think it would... I think it would be doable to randomize it, but, I, you know, having a pre-selected list would be an option to start off with just to see how it, how it goes. All right, we need to get this back on track. way this off is... topic. This is nothing, and I, and we should pad because it's going to be a short one, but this <laughs> is nothing. But we were talking about Dumbledore slash having multiple names, which is what Spook did, and he got one of his names from Kelsier, the survivor, and Spook admits to Seiza that he saw Kelsier not in a vision or something like that, but the actual spirit of Kelsier while conscious and more or less lucid. I guess he was lucid after burning a pewter. And, you know, Sezid is still trying to go through all of his religion portfolio and spook. You know, he's Sezid has already written off Church of the Survivor. And Spook says... How come you're not going to preach to me? And Zazid said, well, that's the old Zazid. I'm going through some stuff. And Spook says, it's because of your dead girlfriend, isn't it? She didn't like religion. And now you're trying to pass on her legacy by not liking religion. And Zazid gets to thinking and realizes that's pretty insightful. He recalls a time when... Uh, Tindwell put aside her dislike of religion to spend time with Sezid and help Sezid with his projects. And now maybe subconsciously he's doing the same. He's putting aside his love of religion in order to be faithful to Tindwell in some way. And then he goes and he becomes Portfolio Jones and just goes back to the portfolio. So it's a thought that he's shelving for later and he'll come back to, but. Definitely, he acknowledges the insight that Spook has in the situation, which is so unspook-like, I, I think, also. That, that's pretty poignant or pugnant. Pungent. Poignant. Pungent is definitely the word you're looking for. Poignant. Poinsettia. Chapter 32.
Unless you have something for chapter 31. German short hair pointer. Chapter 30, whatever. Two. Two. Chapter 32. Chapter 32. Preservation's body fuels Alamancy's power. So this is information we get in the epigraph. And it's kind of a companion epigraph to the one in chapter 33. So I'm actually going to put that off and we'll talk about the two together when we get to chapter 33. All right. Telgen. Elend trusts himself. Elend wonders if Telgen knows he killed Jastes. Elend versus Yeoman. So first part of chapter 32 is from Elend's perspective. First, he has a conversation with Telgen. This is one of his political theory buddies from back in the good old days of Luthadel. And Telden isn't bat poop crazy like uh, Justice turned out to be. Telden is amiable. He he's kind of yeah. Ellen's isn't you know what happened to you, but he also doesn't want to say the obvious. But that's what he's thinking. And Ellen tries to reassure Telden at first. But then, as he's doing so out loud, realizes it's more important that he's reassuring himself. Ellen has some doubts about his emperorship and wondering if he's doing the right thing. But in verbally defending himself against Telgen, he realizes that he is still aware of possible pitfalls in his position of power and still has a moral compass and he can trust himself. So the takeaway isn't Ellen defending himself against Telden's accusations. The The takeaway is Ellen can reason through his own self-accusations and understand that he can do the right thing. All right. So next we have Ellen going to the head table where Obligator Yeoman, leader of Fadric City, is not eating dinner because he's too nervous. And they even make a comment about it. <laughs> and Ellen kind of is back to his old self and being kind of belligerent or rude. Uh, I guess he's not like badgering him, but. Belligerent Ellen means could... war seeking. Really? Well, he's it not does. that. It's a very That's good word. So he's not really, but he is, he's not seeking a war. He's, he's seeking alliance and hoping that they can get along. But, you know, Yeoman can get over the fact that Ellen's wife killed Lord Ruler. And Ellen, Ellen takes a bit of a risk here and mentions the storage cache and just comes out and says, hey, look, I don't really care about your city. I don't want to kill anybody. I'm not after wealth. I need the information that's in the storage cache. And it, First of all, Yeoman actually has a bead of ATM on his, you know, wrapped around his forehead, basically as his crown. And not that it's necessarily from the storage cache, but he can still display it. So Ellen takes a guess and gets a reaction from Yeoman that suggests to Ellen that, yes, he has found the storage cache. And yes, the ATM is in there. So Ellen says, I don't care about the ATM. And one problem I have with this conversation with Ellen and Yeoman is that Ellen is seems to be making promises to Yeoman that contradict the promises he made to Set. 
you know, he starts off with the pretense, oh, I had to come to your city to uphold a promise I made to set. And then right after that, he jumps into, well, if you ally with me, I'll uh, allow you to continue being the ruler of Fadric City. So we're, I think Ellen's going to get in a little bit of trouble with this one. We'll see. Anyway, long story short, Yeoman is kind of prejudiced and does not want to ally with Ellen in any way, even though they have kind of a, a spark of camaraderie because they're both political scholars and have read the same books. But uh, not not happening. I mean, in terms of just like pure political power and ability to hold up an agreement. Yeoman controls a city and a storage cache and appears to have like the, the loyalty of at the very least the nobility of the city and set has remind me again what set has. Cause I'm coming up with nothing busted legs. There you go. That's what set has. Yeah. And not, not only is set, currently not ruling Fadric City, but he was so bad at ruling Fadric City when he was the leader. So, Elland breaking a promise to Set means approximately nothing, and Elland forming a new alliance based on a promise to Yeoman, that's that's viable. Like, that's useful. It's useful, but is it honorable? Yes, because Set's a jerk and a meanie face. <laughs> a meanie face. Well, he's he's getting a mouthful from Ham right now, so that's what he gets. Although I want a mouthful from Ham. I would enjoy a mouthful of Ham. Not the person, just the food. I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> All right. Next scene in Chapter 32. Vin contemplates life and stuff. Ellen walks up and the young ladies admire him. Vin liked Ellen before he was cool. Valellan's first dance. Aww. Alright, so back to Vin and all of the ladies picking her out as the new... Vin is now the new popular, you know, socially powerful lady. And it's a situation that's foreign to her, but one that she has a knack for. And she realizes that there isn't... She's realizing that the two sides of her personality, the the street urchin mistborn y side versus the socialite noble side, and she realizes, you know, street urchin-y-ness I got from mom and nobility I got from dad, and they're both part of me, and they they don't have to be in opposition. I can be myself in all regards. And Ellen walks up and the ladies kind of fawn over him and Vin gets a, a little huffy puffy. And she's like, well, should have seen him with long hair. He wasn't so handsome. But I still loved him. And Ellen asks Vin to dance. And this is, I really love this scene with Vin and Ellen dancing. It's so cute. They never got a chance to, to dance before. This is the first time they've ever actually been to a ball as an actual couple. And Ellen pulls out a book and starts reading on the dance floor. Just for old time's sake. And 
Vin says, and Ellen says, well, this is the very book I was reading when we first met. And Ellen, or Vin says, you know, that would be romantic if you weren't such a jerk. <laughs> um, they, uh, you know, Ellen is still, so there's a parallel between Vin accepting who she is and Ellen accepting who he is. Vin was trying to hold on to her old self and to her old self of being a street urchin and not take hold of her new self of being a noble woman. Whereas Ellen, he is trying to move away from his old self of being a Weisenheimer to being Emperor, Lord Emperor Ellen. And Ellen is trying to progress and leave behind his old self. Vin is trying to hold on to her old self and not progress. But Vin realizes and tells Ellen that we need both. We need to be who we were and we need to become who we are becoming. And Ellen has to think about it <laughs> because he is at heart a scholar. But really cute scene. I loved it. And that Agreed. brings us to the end of chapter 32. Ellen is cute and awkward and awesome. And also Lord Emperor. He can be both. Or was that the awesome part? Yes. Okay. I don't know. Whatever, man. Keep going. All right. Any questions about chapter 32? No, but I'm very excited to get into chapter 33 because this is checking back in with one of my favorite characters. Yes, we learn more about Tensoon and something happens. The uh, chapter 33, it's only five pages. So, you know, it lives up to half of Tensoon's name, but. I think it has it has ten pages worth of action. Alright. Chapter thirty-three. And we'll start with the epigraph. Hemallergy incurs a net loss of power. So allomancy is of preservation and incurs a net gain of power. You draw on apparently preservation's body to increase power. Hemallergy is taking the power of another person with diminishing returns. So you don't get the full ability of the person you hemallerge. And I that's interesting because where does that where does that energy go? Does that energy actually go to ruin? Because if you think about it, if Alamancy is drawing power away from preservation no power is being transferred, but not created or destroyed. In the case of hemallergy, it the that power is decreasing. But you know, are are the laws of of this metallic power is power is is conservation of power a thing in this regard? So, and if so, where does that power go? Is ruin actually getting stronger each time? somebody gets stabbed in the heart and a metal spike ends up in someone else's body. Maybe. I don't know that conservation of energy is relevant to investiture. It's not energy in a physical sense, though. And this is a work of fiction and fantasy at that, so... You know, we're we're predisposed to believe supernatural things are, are going to be commonplace 
so to speak. I feel so, like this you know, is the sort of thing that a word of Brandon has been like someone has asked him about before though. Yeah. Like I, I don't know that. I haven't read anything on it. I just feel like this is the sort of question that someone would have asked. Okay. You have to ask him what happens if you burn Melatium in front of a chondra, though. That's your job. The next time I meet him, I will I will ask about that. I'll ask about half beards and I'll ask about narrow boats. <laughs> Alright. So chapter thirty three proper. Ten soon. Likes being puppy. The resolution. Goodbye, homeland and honor. So Tensoon, actually kind of comfortable in the wolfhound body. This is the second wolfhound body he's had. Remember, the first one got mutilated and Vin had to get a replacement. Or somebody had to get a I think Vin was actually unconscious when he got the new body. Anyway... So Tensoon, you know, takes a little bit of a liking to this body. And more importantly, he understands the advantages of it. And he's going to his final trial. And Kanpar is getting ready to throw the book at him. And Tensoon, one last time, tries to appeal to the first generationers. And he says the resolution is upon us the ash is thickening the world is crumbling beneath us or above us because they're underground or something yeah because they're, they he says you're ignoring the world above which is ending and the resolution is upon us and you know we need to take our stand and save help save the world and a a rare thing occurs and a first generationer actually speaks out in front of basically all of Condradum, and he says, "You're out. You're you're done, Tensoon. Get out of here. Get your go. Get your punishment." And Tensoon is greatly disappointed. And ten, long story short, Tensoon escapes. And here's how: I, I really like th- this. Was really good. I had questions before about how Tensoon Puppy is able to keep up with Vin, is able to jump from building to building, is able to keep the speed that a Mistborn keeps. And that's all answered here at the end of Chapter 33. There are a couple of things going on. For one, uh, Tensoon's body mass is generally human-sized. And if a wolfhound is slightly smaller he has he has more density right so he actually can be more muscular than he would be if he were human sized also tensoon is very good at at crafting bodies so he knows exactly where the muscles need to be and how much and where to get the most speed and jump height by putting those those muscles in the right places. Also, Tensoon had the power of potency, which he got when he killed Orsur. So all of those things combined, yes, it, it makes sense. Tensoon Puppy is able to keep up with Mistborn Vin. It makes sense. I like that. And he uses... <laughs> he sees his time with Vin as training for this moment, and he's able to use all of those skills, less the uh, gift of potency, which I guess took 
they took away from him. This is actually curious. So he got the gift of potency when he killed Orsur, and then when he returned to the homeland, they took the wolfhound body away from him. I guess they also were able to take the gift of potency away from him. So what is the gift of potency? Is it actually is it actually some sort of physical pewter thing? I wonder. And which gift did, did Tensoon had the, the gift of presence or something? Yes, I think that's right. I gift can look of, it up real quick if you want. Hold on. Uh, I should be able to have it in my... What the heck? Blessing, I'm sorry. Blessing of presence. Which gives a bonus to concentration check. So... Does he still have the blessing of presence then? If it's a physical thing that can be taken away from him, or even metaphysical thing that can be taken away from him, what would they let him? But he does still have the blessing of presence. That's weird. Because he mentions having the blessing of presence even when he's in prison. So, huh. Huh. And that's the end of chapter 33 and part two. Any questions? Um, not for this, but I do want to hear your earring theory now okay sure so vin's earring is given to her by her mother and i've already suspected that vin's earring somehow allows ruin to speak to her directly and we also know the the other circumstances where we see ruin talking directly to people are Zane, Spook, and Marsh. Marsh is a Steel Inquisitor. Obviously, hem allergies is part of who he is. So, okay. Spook. A sword passes through a guy's heart and ends up in Spook's shoulder, and that basically was accidental hem allergy. Perhaps accidental. Maybe, I don't know if Ruin could have orchestrated that somehow. But, okay. And then now Ruin talks to Spook. Zane, and this is mini-theory, I, in my mind, Straff is the type of person to hear something about hemallergy and try to... Oh, man. Okay. All right. So Straff, anyway, Straff, you know, Straff's whole deal, he has a bunch of babies and he tortures them to try to get them to snap and turn them into Mistborn. Uh, Zane has a spike in his chest that is only briefly mentioned right before he goes off to die and isn't explained. I could see Straff, you know, he has Zane, and he's like, oh, Zane's not cutting it. Uh, Oh, well, let's try this hemallergy thing. And he basically tries to poverty... He tries to use, like, poverty hemallergy on Zane to try to give him power. And, you know, that's why Zane has a spike in his chest. It was part of some hemallergical process, and that's why Ruin has such a big influence on him. Now, I'm wondering if that spike actually passed through a full-fledged Mistborn, if that would give... That would make... If that's why Zane was a Mistborn, because that spike was you know, driven through the heart of a Mistborn and passed on to to Zane. But either way, I'm pretty sure that Spike has some kind of hemallergical property, which is why Ruin spoke to Zane directly. Now, what about Vin's earring? 
Uh, this might be a, a, Ring? This might be a bit of a long shot, but I seem to recall in the in the accounts of all the ways people tried to kill Lord Ruler. I'm pretty sure at one point he was impaled through the heart. And of course, Lord Ruler had enough gold mines stored up to have enough hit points to survive such a thing and, and pewter to heal through it. But if if such a piece of metal passed through Lord Ruler's heart and gained hemallurgical properties, could someone have maybe later forged an earring out of that metal? And it ended up on Vin. So my theory is that some piece of metal that passed through Lord Ruler's heart eventually wound up being an earring, and that is the earring that Vin now possesses, which covers a few things. It's It covers the whole ruin speaking in her ear thing. It also explains some of the the more advanced power that Vin has, such as being able to pierce copper clouds or uh, being able to do the other Lord Rollery stuff. Was there anything else, actually, or was it just the Copper Cloud thing? Or just, in general, being a really good Mistborn. But I wonder if that earring actually has hemallurgical property from Lord Roller himself. That's my theory. Well, that is an interesting theory that I cannot comment on. <laughs> but you'll have something to talk about next week. Indeed, I will. Um, so, since we still have a little bit of time, uh, before we hit a full hour of recording and probably closer to like 50 minutes of episode, um, do you have any questions for me that I will probably not be able to answer? Why does Zane suck so much? Um, it has to do with the spike in him. It is, it is related to the spike. That makes sense, maybe. Because if he if he inherited someone's power maybe because of the spike, perhaps he also inherited some weaknesses. But I mean, there's the spike and as I suspect it's hemallurgical, which allows Ruin to talk to him. And I, I mean we know that Ruin has been talking to him and he Ruin kinda messed him up, sure. But the whole I ha he has ATM and Vin doesn't and Vin still kills him. That's still I thought about that last week and it still really bothers me. I, I try not to think about it. I agree with you. It <laughs> it would have been better just to leave it as you know, she gained the friendship of Orasur, who is really ten soon, and that was what let her beat him, but yeah, no. It was weak. I remember, I was actually listening to the last released episode, which at this point was covering, it was the pizza one, whatever chapter that was, the pizza one. And in that, Vin is also, also burns the Duralumin and Zinc slash Brass, tries to, you know, see if she can influence Tensoon, and he screams. And I, I said, you know, Orsor is going to be in a lot of trouble, Orsor being Tensoon, and boy was I right. But now Tensoon has escaped. I'm so happy for him, but he's not happy for himself. He He's still not sure if he's doing the right thing, you know, if he's selfishly trying to save himself or if he is selflessly abandoning his supposed honor for the betterment of Kondrakind. 
But yeah, my question, I think, is still like, what's what is Ruin actually trying to accomplish outside of Ruin in a general sense? You know, what is the, what is Ruin's specific plan here? I, can uh, I know you're not going to you, I can actually tell you part of it. I, I okay. can actually tell you where the main focus of Ruin is for most of this book, if you, if you would like. Uh, well, it's up to you. You're the guy. All right. Uh, Ruin's main focus is making the planet tectonically unstable and cranking out the output of the ash bounce. That That's where most of most of his effort is going for most of this book. I mean, that's what he's been doing already. That's just what he's currently doing. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where the bulk of his power is focused. I mean, I, I guess I don't. I, I need to find out: is he doing it just because that's what he wants to do? Is he doing it because he wants to physically destroy the planet? Is he doing it because he just wants to wipe out life on the planet? And I think if he's trying to wipe out the life on the planet, he's a little short-sighted. Because he can definitely ruin some stuff better with people there. He'll have he'll have more fun with people to ruin rather than just land to ruin. Well, I have told you what I'm going to tell you. Okay. Uh, do you have any other questions? Uh, I had, something had I had thought of that I was like, oh, this is a question that we'll have to get answered by the end of this book. But I, it was as I was listening, I don't know, probably not. I mean, right you should, you should definitely have, like, a running tally of questions to ask after the book is over that may already be answered by the end of the book. Sure. But one, once this book is over, uh, you, a lot of stuff is going to open up, and we can talk to you about a lot more things. Oh. What's the next book? Uh, the next book is going to be Warbreaker, which is one of Craig's favorites. Uh, it is a standalone, and it is set on a different world that we haven't seen before. Cool. And after that is The Way of Kings, which is the first book of the Stormlight Archive, set on yet another world we haven't seen before. Um, and it is the first of ten eventual books, although there's a novella between books two and three, Supposed to be another novella between three and four, probably another novella between most of the remaining books. Nutella. So, so there you go. That's that's what we've got. It's pinned actually in general discussion. It's one of the pinned messages. Is the uh, the full like what we're reading in what order? <laughs> okay. Oh, I still and- want to find out like how. Man, I I still need want the full scientific alamancy breakdown too oh you Uh, know what else i realized i i think i had mentioned something at one point i did have a question is there a way to use hemallergy to transfer a chondra's power to a human because chondra don't really have i guess do they have hearts and does hemallergy actually have to go through someone's heart or is that only the most efficient way to do it but we obviously we have i guess i don't know obviously but i think we have hemallergy being used to give ferrochemical power to steel inquisitors can we can we get steel and conjurators 
Is that going to be like the new big scary thing? Um, I have not seen a human gaining a Chondra's powers, so I don't know. I don't think so. Based Wait, on wait, though, hang on a second. Things work. If okay, Chondra might not have hearts, so maybe Hemology wouldn't work to take a Chondra's power. But could you take a human's power and give it to a Chondra? Because Chandra have flesh that the metal can go in and pierce. So, is that where this blessing of potency maybe came from some, some pewter arm? And the, my problem, all right. And, and also, my problem with my earring theory is that the metal didn't pass directly through Lord Roller and then into Vin. And, all the other instances of hemology that we know about, that was the case. It went piece of metal directly through someone's heart into another person's flesh, which I don't think was the case with Vin in the earring. And she's taken it out since then, so probably. Uh, to answer another question that you did ask earlier, uh, in order for hemology to work, it does have to pierce the initial person's heart. Okay. So yeah, I don't even I don't know if it would even work on Chandra, but Chandra might be able to receive the benefits of hemallergy. Which I'm wondering then if Ruin has influence over Ten Soon, if that's the case. That but no, that's weird because he has the blessing of presence, but he doesn't have any any kind of metal skeleton. So I don't know. Maybe the blessing of presence works differently than the the blessing of computer i don't know but i was totally right at one point when i had said that steel inquisitors were some weird third thing outside of alamancy and ferrukami i said that at some point i think you did and you you called it i think that was back in book one actually yeah i'm gonna give myself a cookie retroactively um i will tell you that a lot of the things that you have been speculating on have been very, very on point, and many of the other things you've been speculating on have been completely oh, off base. I'm still holding out for Doxandra. So, just just letting you know that some of the things that you're talking about, <laughs> super duper accurate, it's eerie how, how accurate you are. I'm just reading between the lines, man. But and, I guess that's some part of the things for this you're show. just so far off. You're completely off. Yeah, you're not I, even close. I, it's great. <laughs> I think that's how this show works. There's no middle ground. I either I either nail it or I throw a dart out the window. All right, we are officially over an hour, and I think we've sort of run dry. If you had any other questions, now would be the time. Otherwise, I'm good with ending it. No, I'm gonna go eat breakfast. All right. Well, this was fun. Have a good day at work. Working Father's Day, and see you later, Aaron. Happy Father's Day three or four months late when you guys hear this. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.